Hello, friends. This is our first episode on the Truth For Your 20s podcast of 2020. Wow. How many times did I say 20 in that last sentence? Holy smokes. I'm super excited. In case you haven't picked up on our pattern yet, we post every other week here and we do have the occasional once a week. So like every week episode. Our goal is to eventually publish once a week, but podcasting is a little more work than I had anticipated. So right now we're every other week, but buckle up guys, because we're tackling physical wellness this month. Next month is relational wellness, and there was too much to talk about. So we have way more than just every other week next month. But for 2020, I'm honing in on themes. As I said, this month is physical wellness. We have relational wellness next month. And then in the months following, forward to we're going to talk about financial wellness, mental wellness, and spiritual wellness. I'm I'm tackling five big areas of your life, helping you become that rock star self. In case you missed it, our last episode, the December 30th, our last episode of 2019, kind of unpacked all of those areas of wellness. So go check that out. But today, we are going to be specifically talking about physical wellness. With that, I wanted to share with you my own physical journey because I think there's power in our stories and my story, which started as an awkward and extremely unhealthy teenager to someone who now teaches yoga classes as an adult. I find myself in the best physical shape of my life, but it definitely did not start out that way. It has been a long, awkward, complicated, and confusing journey that I have learned so much and want to spell it out and make it a million times easier for you guys. So buckle up. We're going to talk about truths, for your 20s, learning to love and care for your bodies, finding your best physical self. My name is Katie Bulmer, a former heartbroken and hungover sorority girl. After I stopped looking for love in all the wrong fraternity boys, God blessed me with a husband who shows Christ's love to me every single day. We are parents of two daughters and thousands of others nationwide, and my heart behind everything I do is to give you truths. The world is screaming at you a bunch of lies, and I don't want you to hear those loud voices. I want you to hear the true voices. Grab your earbuds, grab a chai tea, and let's talk about some truth for your 20s. It's official. I just read my favorite review of all times. This comes from Kathleen Nicholson. Uh, P.S. She was on the most popular episode of 2019. It was called Would Jesus Go to a Frat Party? So go back and check this out. But here is what Kathleen said about the podcast. Katie is phenomenal. She is like your fun, quirky, Jesus-loving, wisdom-filled aunt who you just want to spill your guts to. It has been a privilege to get to know Katie on and off the pod. Keep spitting truth, Katie. I mean, I could not love this review more. I want to get it on a t-shirt that says I'm a Jesus-loving, wisdom-filled aunt who you just want to spill your guts to. (laughs) If anything, I have communicated that this is what this podcast is about. That is it right there. Kathleen, you nailed it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sharing a review. And I'd love to share your review next on the podcast. Just hit pause real quick. Click on over to iTunes, leave your review, and I would love to share your words next week. People love to see the person who is super thin and trim, and they're holding the pair of their old jeans that are like 20 sizes too big. You know what I'm talking about? 
Well, I'm not that girl. (laughs) I've pretty much been the same size my entire grown up life. And you're thinking, well, Katie, that's great. Congratulations. But what is very different is what you can't see is on the inside. I used to have a much more unhealthy, that is improper English. I used to have just a very unhealthy view of food, of nutrition, of how to treat my body. And I just learned a lot the hard way. So let me walk you back to my high school days. I was the most awkward person on every team. So I was tall and thin, and I feel like I grew into my body before my mind knew where my arms and legs should be in visual spatial awareness. And I was just so clumsy. I tried to play rec league softball, and they put me out at right field. I remember the only action I ever got is when I was trying to catch a ball and actually collided with the shortstop. I'm not even sure if that's the right position. Whoever it is on the right side of the field collided with her. Awesome. She ended up in a a sling. She was one of the best players. And we collided and she ended up in a sling. Y'all, this was so embarrassing. Around this time, I also thought it would be a good idea to try out for cheerleading because the cool girls are cheerleaders, right? And who doesn't want to be cool as a freshman in high school? So I try out for cheerleading. And if you thought the softball situation was bad, so first of all, we moved to this, you know, quote, better school district when I was in seventh grade. My mom married my stepdad. And before that, my mom was a single mom, and we just didn't have the time or resources to go to all the practices. However, later, when my mom marries my stepdad and we moved to this, quote, better school district, everyone that I rubbed shoulders with was the best at everything they did. So I show up to cheerleading practice with a bunch of girls who have been in gymnastics since they were in utero. And here's clumsy Katie with no ability to touch her toes or my arms are so clumsy. And I'm, y'all, I was so long and skinny. I look like a bad game of pickup sticks. <laughs> I try and do my toe touch and I remember one of the girls laughing at me. As you can imagine, I did not make the squad. I'm not bitter about it. It's fine. I'm just kidding. But I actually, I'm not sure if I was just glutton for punishment or just naive enough to think I could possibly make the dive team. But as I mentioned, we had a super competitive high school and we have a diving team. I don't know a lot of high schools who have that, but I decided to try out for the dive team. Again, these girls who could do gymnastics and flips and do all these funny things in the air are all going off the diving board with grace and skill and splashing into the water with barely any ripples. And there comes me who gets up to the diving board and I jump into the water with the grace and skill of a drunken toddler. It was a disaster. So shocker, you guys, I didn't make that team either. So you can tell my high school days were not full with a lot of athleticism. And here I am years later, a yoga instructor, and people think, well, you've just you know, you're just an athletic person or you just get it. I'm like, no. And that's why I want to share with you this podcast. Like I was never born good at anything. I was never born able to touch my toes or do anything that required flexibility. I just kept showing up. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I just want to paint the picture of who I was in my younger days to just kind of let you know if the girl who was a complete disaster at cheerleading and dive tryouts her high school year can now be the healthiest I've ever been. As a 40-year-old, you guys have extreme hope too. And also develop this mindset that being thin was something that 
that I had to hold on to. I remember people that were older than me saying, well, your, your metabolism is going to slow down when you get older and, you know, just you wait because you're going to get heavy and you just enjoy being thin now because it's not going to last. And I believed what they told me. And I thought that, you know, these were the only days I was going to be thin. So by golly, I had to, you know, hold on to it with everything I had. And I became just super aware of, of controlling what I ate. I remember one time I was hanging out with some friends and I was bragging that I'd only had 10 grams of fat that day. I actually looked it up right before I started recording this podcast. A healthy, active teenager needs between 44 to 77 grams of fat that day. I was starving my body of vital nutrients and I had no idea. And I'm also curious how I even came to this thinking, you know, we're raising two girls right now and and I'm sure we can blame it on our culture and all of the images they see, but I just want you to also think about how do we define beauty and and my high school age self, I, I don't know that I could have put my finger on it, but I wonder why it was so important to be thin and why I valued this and was so terrified of being anything but thin. I mean, there's a lot of amazingly beautiful, healthy, happy people who are not 110 pounds. Like that, I I just, I wonder why this feared me so much. But because it did, I actually took diet pills on more than one occasion. In the late 90s, there was a popular diet pill called HydroxyCut. I don't even remember how I got my hands on this bottle of diet pills, but I do know I only had that one bottle in my possession. I ended up throwing at least half of it away. I never had a crazy diet pill addiction, and I wouldn't say I had any kind of eating disorder, but I just want to paint the picture for you of who I was in those days, a girl who had a very distorted view of her body, of how to treat her body. We somehow look at people who are thin and decide that they're healthy. When in actuality, people who are sometimes very overweight could be malnourished because they don't have nutrition. And people who are thin might have a completely distorted view of themselves and take diet pills like a crazy person. I say it was crazy because I, you guys, I was 5'8 and weighed 110 pounds. And I was, I was taking diet pills and occasionally even making myself throw up when I felt like I ate too much. Like what? How did I look in the mirror and think that I needed diet pills? Like I just, my distorted view of myself was so off and I I just want to help you see yourself as the beautiful person that you are. Our world is photoshopping and filtering and collaging, injecting beauty. And we're, we're obviously confused. What is beautiful? My high school self definitely had no idea. Now, my college days got a little bit better because in college, of course, you have roommates and you start to learn what other people eat and their habits. And I think I just kind of started to learn, although not healthy, healthier habits. At that time, I kind of developed a a low-fat, quote, healthy mentality. So I would have told you at that time that it was a good decision to drink a Diet Pepsi, have some low-fat Cheez-Its. And um, I don't know, just low fat and diet were, in my mind, better decisions than the full fat, full sugar alternatives. And although you could argue they are, I completely missed the point, which I didn't learn later, is that nutrition matters, not fake ingredients. So I kept the same mentality of healthy-ish eating, choosing lower fat options, choosing diet sodas, which 
Diet sodas is a whole nother ball game. That stuff is not good for you. Anyways, I still drink the diet sodas. I use the pink packets of aspartame to sweeten my coffee. All of that junk. Kept this through college, young, single adult time, even my first few years of marriage. And where everything took a huge turning point was actually when I was pregnant with our second daughter, Ava. And a lady named Melissa came to our church and spoke about nutrition. Melissa was a nutritionist and she studied under her mother-in-law who cured herself of ovarian cancer, all with holistic methods. I found Melissa fascinating. So our church met on Wednesday night. This was a small Southern Baptist church I went to after Brian and I met. Our ladies met on Wednesday nights and Melissa offered to teach our women for, I think it was several months, every Wednesday, just what she knew, her views on nutrition and how we could be healthy. And I loved what she said, because she said, if the church is all overweight, unhealthy, and sick, then what is the outside world looking at? She argues that Christians should be at optimal nutrition and care for this beautiful temple that God has given us as a tool, as an instrument to have high energy and high passions for the things he's made us to do. All things that were like revolutionary to me. I had never heard any of this said like that. Not only from my unhealthy views of food, but also just as a as a pretty new believer at that point, hearing that oh, you mean these Southern Baptist get-togethers of fried chicken and donuts? Like, maybe even that isn't a very good idea. Like, listen, I'm all about a potluck dinner, but how are we treating our bodies as the body of Christ? If we say Christ lives in us, I don't know that he needs donuts. I'm just saying, like... You're not going to hell if you don't. Okay, listen, guys. I just listened to this podcast and this girl told me I'm going to hell if I eat donuts. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when Melissa came to our church, my eyes were completely open about this whole new idea of eating to live instead of living to eat. Viewing food as a nutrition, as a tool, as as fuel for my body to help it work at optimum capacity. When Melissa started speaking, my ears were totally turned up and like, tell me everything. She was so sweet and offered myself and all of my mom friends at the time, like different tests we could take and different questionnaires. And I ended up like stalking this girl. I took every test there was to take. I was learning this whole new way to view nutrition. And what she what she said that just hooked me because I think a lot of times I would think, well, to be this really healthy person, I have to throw out everything in my pantry that has any unpronounceable ingredients and go, you know, grow a garden and live on a farm somewhere. And that, of course, sounds completely unrealistic. But what Melissa did is she broke down things into phases. So instead of saying, okay, guys, you know, clear out your whole pantry, we're starting again fresh. She invited us to look at our eating into phases. So one of those phases is like phase one, switch out your white bread to a wheat bread. And one of the things that I still do to this day is start to think about living foods. So everything that we eat used to either be a plant or an animal. So when you eat an apple, that used to be hanging on an apple tree that you don't have to think too hard to think about where that came from. When you eat a chicken breast, that used to be an animal. There's not a lot of thinking that goes on, right? But when you eat a Dorito, 
What the heck even is that? Maybe some ground up corn and some spices or some maltodextrin things made in a lab that no one even really knows is real food or not. And we we put it in a cool bag with a picture of Star Wars on it and we call it Doritos. You know what I'm saying? My old self would never think, is this nutrition? Is this fuel for my body? I would just look, well, how many fat and calories does it have? Now, I don't even think about fat and calories. I think about ingredients. Like, what even is this? And does my body need it? Melissa called it living food. So getting back to these plants and animals. Of course, that is your outside perimeter of the grocery store, but also when you look at packaged foods, look at the ingredients. She said if those first five ingredients are a living thing, then you're good. So if it says wheat or a vegetable or something like that, then then you're good. But if it says high fructose corn syrup and monoglycosamide, (laughs) I think I just made that word up, then what the heck are we even eating? She would always talk about how our bodies are these incredible machines. When she interned with her mother-in-law, who again, cured herself of ovarian cancer. By the way, if you don't know much about ovarian cancer, it's often a death sentence. And her mother-in-law was in remission for over 20 years. So like legitimately cured herself of ovarian cancer, all with nutrition. And what Melissa said is that our bodies are always healing and curing themselves. But when they're already so busy fighting the junk we feed it, if they're already like saying, oh my gosh, okay, you just fed me Cheez-Its and fake sugar. And I'm trying to process what even is this stuff coming into my body. Meanwhile, trying to fight cancer, like it's just too busy. But if our body is given the fuel and the ingredients and nutrition that our body needs, and it is like, you know, an army ready to fight the junk that comes at it. She says that cells reproduce all the time and you might, and people get cancer a lot of times, but healthy bodies can squash that cancer and you're good. But again, when our bodies are unhealthy and not working at optimum capacity because they're so busy trying to fight the junk we're feeding it, then things are a lot more complicated. But when we shift our mindset of eating to live instead of living to eat, You know, your body tells you what you need even. They say that children that are in third world countries that will sometimes eat dirt because they need that iron. I know that sounds like an extreme, but your body will tell you if you need a a vegetable or vitamin C, but it can't speak if we're continuing to stuff it with junk. So I know this to be true because we did a, it's called Daniel plan, where we just cleansed out all of the junk in our diet. And we only, only strictly ate plants and animals. So that cut out, and actually we cut out any possible allergens too. So we ate no wheat, no soy, no dairy, no happiness. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It really, it really wasn't as bad as it sounded. At first I was like, holy cow, this is going to be really hard. But once you planned it, it was actually not that complicated. Uh, Our girls did it with us. We just, we pack their lunches of Daniel Plan Foods. And people thought I was insane. It was so crazy. I had emails from teachers and emails from other moms like, tell me what you're doing. Like, how are you making your kids eat these vegetables? I'm like, um, kids actually are very adaptable. You eat, they eat what you give them. You know, we think that kids only like chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese because if that's all you give them, of course, that's all they're going to eat. But our kids eat asparagus and broccoli and 
<laughs> there's this vegetable called kumquats. I'm sorry, a fruit. It's a fruit called a kumquat. You may or may not have heard of this, but they are common in South Georgia. And we actually had a kumquat tree in our backyard at our old house. And so I'd put that in their lunches and I had moms like, what are these kumquats that you're feeding your children? Like, tell me more. And they weren't rude. They were actually very kind people just wanting to know how you do this. I'm like, it's not rocket science. You just eat healthy. Like you just plan to eat. You you pick out a plant or a vegetable and you plan to eat it. I mean, I know it sounds crazy because it's so countercultural, but like it really, it's not that hard if you just take a few intentional steps to do it. You know, we have to take intentional steps to eat anything we want to eat. Food just doesn't land from the sky at least it doesn't in our house. Let me know if you have some type of situation. But you have to go to the grocery store. You have to make a plan for what you're going to eat that week. So we just plan to eat fruits and vegetables and meat and things that were not processed. And how I know that your body tells you what it needs and what it doesn't need as we were coming off this 30 days of, of just you know, Daniel plan type of food. I, this is so random, but there was an animal cracker. Like our kids still had some, some animal crackers in the cupboard. And this was when we were off the plan. So I gave them a snack of animal crackers and I grabbed a bite of it, you know, just mom, like cleaning up and grabbed a bite of an animal cracker. I got a splitting headache and was felt nauseous the rest of the afternoon because my body didn't need, what is an animal cracker? Is it a plant? Is it an animal? Well, ha ha. I didn't, I didn't plan that guys. It's actually not an animal despite the little shape of a rhino or zebra that it may be. Sorry to ruin your plans and dreams there guys. But what is an animal cracker? Maybe some wheat and some sugar, sometimes some food dye. I, I don't even know, but my body did not need it that day. But when we continually eat junk, our body's just so busy trying to keep everything working. It can't possibly even tell you, yeah, don't eat that or that or that or that. Oh, please not that. I mean, there's just too many signals to send out. But we had just come off that Daniel plan. I'd fed myself nothing but like the best foods I've ever eaten in my life. And that one animal cracker, my body was like, what? No, like we don't even need this. And I don't live like this every day for sure. And so I'm sure my body is sometimes like, we'll pick our battles. <laughs> But that's just proof to show you that your body is a machine and it needs fuel to do its best job. The same thing happened when I tried to quit coffee. So before you might think, well, Katie, this is cool for you, but you must have a strong will or something. (laughs) I do not. Because when I tried to quit coffee, and by the way, I'd be happy drinking coffee. I don't think coffee is bad for you or anything. But again, I was getting this terrible headache situation. It was like this dependence on it. If I drank too much one day, I'd get a headache. If I didn't drink enough or if I drank, you know, at the wrong time or I was always constantly getting, I mean, people say they get headaches and they're functioning. No, I get splitting migraines to where I'm nauseous in the bathroom, cannot move migraines. And this is what I was having almost on a weekly basis because of my dependence on caffeine or not enough or too much. And it was just such a crazy balance. So I'm like, okay, I have to quit coffee. Like this is insane. Y'all, I don't know what quitting any kind of like hardcore drug is like, but I was having the insane withdrawals. I mean, so I know you're not supposed to quit cold turkey. So I would like 
I'd go to the half calf and then I'd drink maybe, you know, one or two cups. And then I would go to just one cup a day and then half a cup and I would backslide. I mean, it probably took me four or five months to finally quit coffee. <laughs> I mean, I went back and forth. I'm like, I just need a, I just need a little fix today. I'm telling you, I was like a recovering crack addict or something. But that's why I love chai tea now. I call it my smokeless cigarette. Chai tea does have a little bit of caffeine in it. It's less than coffee. And for whatever reason, I don't have those side effects. Like I can drink a cup today and not another cup for a week and I'm totally fine. But coffee was much different. I don't know if it's just the the way it's made or the balance of caffeine, but I had a horrible time quitting that. So if you think that willpower is something that I'm able to do because I eat healthy, there you go. Uh, no, do not have willpower because caffeine was the hardest thing I've ever tried to quit. So going back to the phases that Melissa would talk about. So she said, you know, try and think about this phase one of going to your wheat bread and thinking about a living food. And then as you get more and more comfortable with that, it just becomes a way of life. It's not like you're struggling anymore and, and you crave to eat healthy things. I said this again I feel like I'm repeating myself in this, but your your body tells you what it wants. And so I like I knew that I wanted to eat some whole grains or I knew that I wanted to eat some some fiber and some berries or something like that. So your body tells you what it wants. And so I honestly don't ever want to eat uh, a donut. I feel bad for picking on donuts. I don't hate donuts, but like they don't make me feel good. If I eat one now, the sugar and all that stuff, I would just feel like junk afterwards. So I, I truly just don't want one. And the same for ice cream and stuff like that. Now, don't think I'm like special because I could eat up some brownies and cookies. I love baked goods. But even then, when it has too much refined sugar, I just I, I just feel bad. My body tells me what it needs and what it doesn't need, and it doesn't need all that refined sugar. I know that I'm blowing some of y'all's minds right now because this is countercultural and we live in a time where we celebrate with food, where cake and ice cream are a fun thing and yay, let's celebrate by doing this. But it frustrates me because refined sugar, and I'll explain that in a minute, but refined sugar is as addictive as cocaine. And the more we have of it, the more we want, we develop a tolerance and we want it sweeter and sweeter and we want more and more sugar. Sugar is just the devil. I mean, sugar is in everything too. When we did that Daniel plan and we were cutting out sugar, sugar is in spaghetti sauce. It's in peanut butter. It's in uh, salad dressings. Sugar is in everything. We have friends that were missionaries in Peru and they were doing some fun things with the kids and they would hand the kids lollipops. And the kids are like, oh, this is so sweet. Like, how, how do you eat this? Because they weren't accustomed to this sugar-laced American world that we live in. But here we have it so often, we just want more and more and more of it. Gosh, my parents' generation, you know, it was one time a year when you had a birthday, you would have cake and ice cream and that was special. And it, you didn't have it that much in all of your food and you probably didn't have it near as sweet as we have it today. So maybe it was just some sugar in the icing and a little bit in the ingredients. I don't know any Betty Crockers from like 1950 cookbooks, but I'm willing to bet it had significantly less sugar in it. So not only was it less sweet, it also was so much less often. What frustrates me now is our girls are growing up in a day and age where sugar is everywhere. So just in a week, I took a little mental note of how often our kids were offered sugar. 
and I couldn't even count as many times, but what used to be a celebratory, you know, just for your birthday. Now, every time anyone has a birthday in their class, which is like 25 kids, the mom brings cupcakes and everyone in the class eats a cupcake. And not only that, if you reach your AR goal, you get, you get to have a soda at the end of the day. If there is something they're celebrating, like it's Halloween or it's Christmas or whatever, there's going to be cake and ice cream or cake and sugar and candy and all the things for that. The bus driver gave them candy canes. We went to the bank and they were offered lollipops. And don't even get me started on the packaging that attracts our little kids and is pumping them with sugar at a very young age. If you go to the grocery store, you see the packages that have the frozen characters or the Paw Patrol all over them. The ingredients in there are filled with sugar and food dye and unpronounceable ingredients. This is not what our kids need. We laugh it off and we applaud it and we're like, oh, it's sweet. We're spoiling the kids and we think it's funny. But I am pretty convinced in a couple of decades, we're going to look back and the diabetes and obesity and cancer and all the things that are happening right now, there's so much evidence that links it to sugar, but we're laughing off sugar and we're using it to celebrate. Like, don't we see that connection? If we could limit all of the junk we're feeding ourselves we would be healthier and feel better. You know, that stuff doesn't make you feel good. It's not fuel for your body either. Your body needs vitamins and minerals. Yes, there are natural sugars in the things that God made. There's fructose and lactose and milk. And and some of those sugars are, are fuel for your body. They are. But refined white sugar is what used to be a sugar cane and it's stripped of all of its nutrients and it's bleached and I don't even know what happens to it, but by the time it gets to our bodies, it is not fuel. Now, before you think I don't touch any refined sugar, I still live in America. I still have food in my pantry with ingredients that I am probably embarrassed to have in there. When our kids were younger, I was a lot more diligent about this. And it's crazy. It's such a first world problem, but it's crazy that you have to be like always on guard and and almost fighting an uphill battle to protect your home from all this refined sugar. And, you know, you don't want to be the mom who says, no, my kid can't have the cupcakes at Billy's birthday and Rebecca's and Sarah's and all 25 other kids in her class. And then the three other parties they have that week where the moms bring in the donuts and the Hershey's kisses and the uh, keeps going on and on. I have made peace with the 80-20 rule. That is 80% of the time. Actually, the best example is pizza. 80% of the time, I will roll out the dough and make whole wheat flour, beautiful made from scratch pizza dough and the freshest ingredients on top of the pizza And 20% of the time, we will have Little Caesars. (laughs) We just try and eat as healthy as possible. We try to make good decisions at the grocery store and shop the perimeter. And 20% of the time, we say yes to the cheesecake. You know, we are Americans just trying to figure out this too. But when we feed our body good fuel, your body will tell you what it wants. And that way you can work at optimum nutrition and its optimum power. In short, I came from the girl who had a very distorted view of nutrition, of health, of the way I looked at my body, the way I appreciated and treated my body. Now I understand that my body is a gift and to treat and fuel and care 
for this one and precious body that I have by giving it what it needs to do its best. You know, I truly think this is a really powerful concept. If God's people can get a hold of this and start to honor and respect, care, and fuel our bodies, like we can be an unstoppable force. Like devil better pay attention because God's people are about to start treating their bodies better. Like treating our bodies with respect, giving it proper nutrition. I just feel like Well, I'm going to say it. It can change the world. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are listening and you're in a sorority and your sorority needs a little motivation, or maybe you just need a reminder of why you exist as this sisterhood. I am your girl. I was actually having a conversation just the other day with a friend at the gym. So picture myself and a friend beside each other on the floor of the gym. We're holding plank. And she says, Katie, tell me what your message is about. So because I wanted to get this done as quick as possible, I concised it to a really quick message. I said, well, I worked in advertising for 15 years and I saw the $100 million power of influence sorority women have over the marketplace. Meanwhile, I'm also mentoring college women for the same amount of time, about 15 years. And I'm seeing these incredible women crying into their lattes because they're settling for less in the dating world. They don't realize their worth and a million other things that they don't see in the mirror. By golly, someone needs to tell them they are better than this. Someone needs to tell them they can change the world. There's definitely more to that, but check out all the information at katiebulmer.life, or you can easily find the links through Instagram, which I made super easy to find. You can find me on Instagram at katiebulmerlife. All the goodness is there on my website. I want to note, I do not work for an agency, which a lot of speakers you see do. I do not have fancy secretaries. Every time I go to a college, it's because you, a college student, made it happen. So please feel free to reach out. I am booking for spring semester, and I would love to come give you a giant hug, look you in your face, tell you and your amazing sisters, you guys can change the world. My journey with working out has been an interesting one as well. If we are friends on Instagram, you know that I love to go to the gym. I go about five days a week. I just turned 40 years old and I would probably in the best shape I've ever been in my life, but I definitely have not always been that way. I told you about my clumsy, non-athletic high school days, but in college I would run and, and everything I've ever done before kids days was very occasionally, you know, I'd run sometimes I'd go to the gym every now and then, but nothing was very consistent. In fact, when Brian and I were kind of just friends in this flirty kind of stage, we were running together. And it's funny, that's probably the most I've ever run in my life because I knew he liked to run and I thought he was cute. So I pretended to be a runner as well. Not that I like was completely not a runner. I, I did do a 5k when I was in high school and I ran an occasion Nothing I ever did consistently, but this cute boy was a runner. So by golly, I became a runner too. We would meet at the local track and we would run, I mean, I don't know, maybe a mile, maybe two. And once I got him, I stopped running. I'm just kidding. I ran a little bit after that, but that was definitely the most I ever ran when I was trying to like get his attention. But I never got consistent about working out until after our kids were like probably toddler age. Brian joined our local gym. It was called 180 Fitness. Shout out to any friends in Statesboro. It's a wonderful gym. He joined 180 Fitness and he was like, I think you'd like the classes. I think you, you know, you're sociable. You like to meet people. I think that you should check it out. And I was like, 
I mean, whatever. <laughs> At first I was like, I don't have time for that. I'm too tired. You know, all the normal excuses. But I found out they had a power yoga class and that sounded interesting to me. I didn't want to do your grandma's yoga for lack of a nicer way to say that. But I was very interested in, I didn't even know what it was at the time, but it was called power yoga. So I showed up to my first power yoga class and I thought the instructor should be charged with attempted murder. It was very, very hard. Some of the muscles I did not even know that I had hurt the very next day. It was extremely hard for me and I've never been flexible. I'm 5'8", so I always thought, because my toes are just further away than most people because I'm tall. I couldn't touch my toes. I'm, I've never been flexible. And and I'm not, a lot power yoga is strength. You're doing all these, it's called chaturangas, like little push-ups. And I couldn't do half the things they were talking about. But I kept showing up. And this is something I'm super passionate about. One of my favorite quotes I share on Instagram all the time is, a river doesn't cut through rock because of its strength, but because of its persistence. And I I just love this idea of just keep showing up. So even though that class was crazy hard for me, I just kept showing up. And two years, you guys, of just showing up and practicing and practicing and practicing, you know, they call yoga a yoga practice, not yoga perfect, which I, I just love that little saying. But this goes, by the way, with any type of exercise. I'm not, yoga happens to be something I'm really passionate about, but this could be CrossFit or spin class. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying showing up. Yes, it's going to be hard when you first show up. I mean, has anyone ever nailed anything on the first try? No, it's supposed to be hard when you go. So for me in this yoga journey, it was about two to three years of showing up. I mean, probably four to five days a week. I was determined and there's my Enneagram three in me, but I really, really, really wanted to do a headstand. Y'all, I could not even touch my toes when I came to this class, much less do a headstand. But I was determined. I kept showing up and I kept showing up and I kept practicing and I kept getting stronger. And before I knew it, my feet were up in the air over my head like How does that even happen? I never could do that when I was young. You know, a lot of kids can do headstands and all those flippity things. No, I could never do any of that stuff. And here I am, it's like I was a 30-year-old finally being able to do a headstand. This was all like completely new to me. And I was so proud of just being able to work for something and achieving it. It was so exciting. You know, a lot of people say, well, look at you, you were born that way. Like I was definitely not born flexible. I was definitely not born strong, but I kept showing up. And the crazy thing is around this time, the yoga instructor was moving. The gym owner approached myself and my friend Lauren and said, we will pay for you to get your yoga license if you'll go get trained and you can be a teacher at our gym. And I'm like, me? But I don't, I can't, what? (laughs) You know, I wanted to say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I'm like, well, I've been here for years showing up and now I can do those things that I thought were impossible. Here in this, that showing up to the gym is hard. Showing up to the gym is uncomfortable. But anyone who shows up over and over, persistence is what wins, not your strength. So just keep showing up, my friends. Who knows? Maybe you could do a headstand or... (laughs) crow pose or a pull up or whatever it is your fitness goal is. It doesn't matter. Those are some of my goals, but 
yours are your own. And if you just keep showing up, girl, you can nail them too. So today I am a yoga instructor. I only teach one day a week. The other days I go to either a hit class or I have a friend, Lori, shout out to Lori. We work out at least one to two days a week. So between the classes, yoga classes and working out with Lori, I'm there about five days a week. And I just love working out. I don't feel as good when I don't. I love to move my body. Typically, I work from home, which are a lot of days just sitting behind a computer. And if I didn't work out first, I just don't think I would have as much energy or focus or ability to show up as well as I'd like to behind the computer screens to develop all the content that you're seeing to record this podcast if I weren't first moving my body. So I think it's easy to see people who have healthy eating habits and go to the gym often and say, well, they're just that type of people, or they just are different than me somehow. I'm actually reading Mindset by Carol Dweck. If you haven't heard of this, it's a really, really popular book, but she talks about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And the fixed mindset will say, well, good for them. They work out, they eat healthy, but I'm not that type of person. That's saying, I I am not meaning I cannot and I will not change that this is who I am. I am overweight. I, I don't like to work out or whatever it may be. That is who I am versus a growth mindset that says, well, right now I hate running right now. I hate going to the gym right now. I am addicted to sugar and I don't feel good a lot, but I am willing and able and interested in change. You know, picture you're at the bottom of a staircase If you want to get to the top, you can't just jump there. You take one step at a time. If the top of the staircase is being your optimal physical self, it's okay to not be at the top. You can't tomorrow go be a CrossFit champion and eat nothing but kale and quinoa. Do you know what quinoa is? (laughs) It's like one of those healthy grain things. But you can take one step at a time. That's how anybody does anything hard just one step at a time. So if you're interested in changing your physical habits, I would challenge you to phase one, think about eating to live instead of living to eat, fueling your body with nutrition. When I'm looking at a food label, I do not even look at the fat, calories, whatever. I look at the ingredients. If the ingredients are something I can pronounce, and if it's not a lot of sugar or fake sugar or fake anything, then I'm down. If it's like actual food and the ingredient list is pretty short, go for it. If it's filled with food dye and modified things in a lab labeled as food, you're not doing your body any favors. You're not getting it what it needs to be awesome. And if you're thinking about working out, what is something that you enjoy? If you're not even sure, try a few classes. I'm a big fan of exercise classes because for accountability, for fun, for a healthy challenge. Like if the girl beside me is lifting more than I think I can, then by golly, I'm going to try and do at least one more rep because of that healthy competition. Because I love fitness classes so much. I've been to almost every kind there is. And I've seen people come in as newbies and they, they think that people are judging them or they think, well, I can't do all the things that these people who have been coming for years can do. Who cares? No one's worried about you. They're they're glad that everyone is glad that each other are there. Everyone is there to cheer each other on. I love gym communities because no one's saying, you know, look at her. She can't do all the hard things. No, like every, if you show up in that class, I always say this in the yoga classes that I teach. If you are on your mat and you are breathing 
you are doing yoga. So that's the same thing for any class. If you show up and you are moving your body, you're working out and the rest is just details. You get stronger with every class you take with every time you show up to the gym. So show up and breathe, bam, you're nailing it. I guarantee you at the gym, everyone else is just trying to survive. They're not worried about what you're doing. I promise you. And even if they were, other people's opinions are none of your business. That's a quote from Rachel Hollis, and I love it. All right, friends, I think I've tackled enough controversial topics for today. We've talked all about nutrition and getting healthy and just becoming your best physical self. These are definitely a lot of tips and tricks I wish I knew when I was your age. Just enjoying this body that I've been given. I've only have one of them. Not only do I want to take good care of this body, I want to learn to appreciate it. It's such a crying shame that a lot of women look at their bodies with disgust. When in actuality, God made you so freaking amazingly. There are cells and veins and things all connected in your body that scientists don't yet even understand. Our bodies are machines made to do incredible things, made to change the world. And we give the opportunity to take care of them. That's a big responsibility. God says, I made every single detail and I made it the muscles and the tendons and ligaments and all the things work together. And I'm going to make her just this way, just this beautiful, perfect size. And we get the opportunity to feed and fuel that body. We get the opportunity to strengthen and care for that beautiful body. There's this pose in yoga called Supta Konasana. I know that's a big word, but basically you're laying down on your back. You have one hand on your heart and one hand on your stomach. And all you do is simply feel the beating of your heart and the rise and fall of your breath. It is so simple, but I love this pose because how often do you feel the beating of your heart or the rise and fall of your breath? But it's a time just to take a minute to think about, I have no idea the science why I'm breathing right now or why my heart is beating, but God told it to, and all of it works together for me to be talking to you right now, for me to have a purpose, for you to have a purpose, for your heart to beating right now. So just take a minute, put your hand on your heart, give thanks for that beautiful body that God gave you and go out, give it some good food, move your body and be a rock star in 2020. Thanks guys for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed some truth for your twenties. Did you enjoy this episode? Did I say anything that resonated with you? It would mean the world to me to hear your feedback. Just take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram, tag me so I can thank you, or you can share from Spotify. They make it really easy to share the link to your Snapchat Facebook, or Instagram. Share it with a friend, but just please help us share it because as I said a million times, sorority girls are trendsetters and it would mean the world for you to help me get the word out about this podcast. Thanks for joining me, friends, and I hope that you're walking away today with some truth for your 20s.